What does an American country girl have to do with Nazi Germany? How can a depressed teenager in Colorado be given hope by something she can't even see? In a startling but real short story, the Southern author Flannery O'Connor presents to us a young adult lady named Holga. Bright and well-educated, Holga considers herself enlightened and modern. For her, categories like good and evil are old-fashioned, out-of-date, not even real. And God certainly doesn't exist. For Holga, one thing matters. Reason alone is the key to understanding reality. What Holga doesn't realize is that her worldview is about to come crashing down. Soon into the story, she meets a traveling Bible salesman who seems to be completely innocent about the realities of life. But Holga doesn't mind. She knows that she can spend time with him and maybe even share some of her wisdom with him. After all, she's used to it. She's used to spending time with people much less intelligent than she is. And she knows that, quote, true genius can get across to an inferior mind, end quote. When finally she realizes that the salesman is not as innocent as he portrays himself to be, his target all along has been to steal from Holga and possibly assault her, she realizes she's the one that's been duped. Indeed, she's the victim. She's left confused, disgusted, and disillusioned. As the story of Holga shows, ideology doesn't work. I define ideology here to mean using man-made formulas to establish an earthly perfection. And there are private ideologies like Holga's, a kind of hunch that her reason alone can understand everything. But then there are other, bigger, more insidious forms of ideology, like national movements, think of Soviet communism or Nazi Germany, who attempted to establish a paradise on earth based on man-made formulas alone. As we can see, ideology ends in disaster. What does a Catholic have to learn about this story from Holga? Well, I think two things. Number one, we need to be aware of the dangers of ideology. But also, we need to be aware of the dangers that if we're not careful, the mystery of our Catholic faith that we present can be infected by ideology. So if the Catholic faith isn't an ideology, then what is it? Well, as Pope Benedict XVI said, being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. It is instead an encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. Just so. It's an encounter. It's an encounter followed by a journey. But if we're not careful, we can reduce this encounter, reduce this faith, and have it be infected by ideology. We can reduce it down to simplistic formulas and pet projects. But there's hope. If we look at the tradition of the church, and especially at the lives and the teachings of the saints, we see classic principles by which we can protect the integrity of the faith, which we desire to hand on to others. Certainly, there are many principles, but today I want to focus in on three. By understanding how catechesis is an art, not a technique, 
having interior life is the most important priority in catechesis, and how we must always seek to present charity and truth, and truth in charity, we see genuine catechesis being a sharing of the mystery of God in Christ and not just promoting another human ideology. First, catechesis is an art, not a technique. St. Teresa of Calcutta was well known for establishing hospitals for the ill in Calcutta. One Friday afternoon, there was a young man in our hospital who was known to be a very strong atheist. But being St. Teresa, she didn't care. She knew he was ill, and she needed to go up to him and take care of him. So she goes up to the bed, tends to him, addresses his needs, chats with him a bit, and then asks, would you like to hear about Jesus? No thanks, he said. She goes on. A few days go by, and she goes up to him again. She tends his wounds, addresses his needs, and then asks him, would you like to hear about Jesus? No, he said. About a week goes by. She notices that he's really ill. She goes up to him, addresses his needs, tends his wounds, has some conversation with him, and asks him, would you like to hear about Jesus? He replies, is he anything like you? She says, I just try to be like him. Yes, I would, he says. A few days later, that young man was baptized, and shortly after that, he died. St. Teresa's entire life was one giant illustration on how the true nature of catechesis is an art, a long road, a journey of first seeking to know and love Christ and then inviting others to do the same. It's not a technique. It's not a simple method. It's nothing that we should seek to reduce. If we do, we risk falling into ideology. Pope John Paul II has a great insight into this. He says this, It is not therefore a matter of inventing a new program. The program already exists. It is the same plan found in the gospel and in the living tradition. It is the same now as ever. Ultimately, it has its center in Christ himself, who is to be known, loved, and imitated, so that in him we may live the life of the Trinity and with him transform history until its fulfillment in the heavenly Jerusalem. We see in Pope John Paul II's statement the kind of master key of the life that St. Teresa lived. Indeed, genuine catechesis is not a technique. It's an art, a long journey of knowing Christ and inviting others to do the same. Number two. The interior life is the most important priority in catechesis. St. Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuits, once made the observation, if the entire society of Jesus was to be completely disbanded tomorrow, provided it was not my fault, all I would need is 15 minutes in silence before the blessed sacrament for my soul to be restored to a state of peace. Now that's what a saint says, and indeed he is a saint. But what I want to know is this, how was he able to say this? I think he was able to say this because for him, the interior life was the most important priority in his life. He knew that in his deepest nature, he is made for communion. So every day through his interior life, daily sustained prayer, he was able to experience deeply 
and personally Christ's love, presence, and mercy. That's why. We can do the same. We're called to do the same. It's not easy. It's difficult, but it is possible. I know this from experience. I look back at the times in my catechesis when I've been in a bad place in prayer. My catechetical efforts often feel kind of forced. There's a weight. I think it's all on me. And of course, I don't have what it takes. Compared to times when my prayer is in a good place and I'm seeking to grow in the interior life, I simply experience Christ's love and knowledge in my soul, and then I share what I know to be real, and my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Again, the interior life is not easy, but it is possible, and it's the most worthwhile thing we can do if we seek to hand on not a human ideology, but the mystery of God in Christ. And third, we must always seek to present charity and truth and truth and charity. Oftentimes, these two realities are pitted against one another, but not so for Christ and not so for the church. Amen to that. As Pope Benedict XVI once said, love without truth is sentimentality, and truth without love is brutality. I remember my sister sharing a story with me about a young friend of hers who wanted to meet up at a coffee shop who's from her youth group. So they sat down, have some coffee, have a conversation, and this young friend reveals to my sister that the recent season in her life had led her to be discouraged and confused. She had given herself away sexually to others, and she was left struggling with despair. So they kept chatting. My sister was listening to her, asking her questions. And at one point, my sister asked her, you know the story of Christ, right? And she said, oh yeah, sure. My sister said, so you know then, it doesn't matter what you do, or where you've been, in his love, you can be made new today. When she heard this, her young friend sat up in her seat, actually put a sweater over her shoulders and looked up, adjusted her posture, asked my sister, does that mean I can wear white on my wedding day? My sister said, of course. The reality is that catechesis must be both things, charitable and based in truth. Catechesis must be attentive, engaging, empathetic, and be willing to dwell in the messiness that is often our lives. But it must also be based in reality, in the truth, in what is. Certainly, no easy thing, not a simple technique. It's a mystery. But as Catholics, we have a deep appreciation for mystery. Going back to Holga for just a moment, I think the disillusionment and the despair that she experienced, many of us can relate to since the pandemic began. Substance abuse, loneliness, and a general spiritual malaise has covered the world. Indeed, many, many people are hungry for meaning and purpose and truth. It's no exaggeration to say that the world is starving for these things right now. 
But those of us in catechesis must then ask ourselves a question. Are we presenting to these people an earthly program, a man-made ideology, or something bigger and deeper, more real? By undergirding our catechesis according to true Catholic principles, like catechesis as an art, the primacy of the interior life, and the importance of sharing both charity and truth, we can be assured that what we're sharing is no mere human ideology, which won't work anyways, but the mystery of God in Christ, a mystery that can fill people's lives now and a love that can make all things new. Thank you. Thank you.